This is Football CFB, the home of unique football content. I never told you You scared off the vultures I never told you You scared off the ghosts living in my head That lay lonely in the dirt That I'm joined today on Football CFB by Alistair Campbell. I cannot believe I'm saying this. Alistair, thank you so much for joining me. Pleasure, Callum. I want to start, Alistair, by talking about what you've been up to at the moment. It's a difficult situation for everyone. You've been doing some fitness videos with your daughter Grace on Instagram. <laughs> How did that all come about? Oh, God, yeah, we did. I mean, this is, this is producing some weird stuff, isn't it? Um, <laughs> how did that come about? Well, I've got, I, I keep, you know, I know you and I, we've talked before about mental health. I, I keep physically very, very fit. So I've got, I've got a personal trainer who comes a couple of times a week. And then he sets me stuff during the week as well when I don't see him called Kia. Now, the thing is, of course, now with all the social distancing, um, we're doing it down the line. And Grace just thought it'd be really funny if we did one together. Um, and actually, we got we got quite good feedback from people. That I think people were quite quite surprised just how kind of just how hard I go when I go. <laughs> um, so yeah, we did that. I've been I've been writing a book. Um, I've been I've I've written a blog this morning about how every morning when I'm waking up, I'm writing these things, twenty things. So I've done twenty reasons. 20 things Boris Johnson can do to improve his communications, 20 things to guard against uh, depression and anxiety when you're, you know, a bit edgy, 20, 20 positives from the crisis, some of the things that actually have, you know, actually made, made me think maybe there's some good coming out of this. Um, and then this morning I've done 20 reasons to buy the New European, which is the newspaper of, of which I'm editor at large. <laughs> <laughs> but it is brilliant this week. It's one of the best ever. Front cover is amazing. Check it out. People can check it out on my website. Absolutely. And something I want to talk to you about, which was entertaining me, was you mentioned your personal trainer and you were preparing to fight Piers Morgan. Why did he check it out? Uh, oh, I think I think he's... Look, I'm, I don't like losing anything, but I think Piers has got that same thing. And uh, what happened on that is I did an interview online with the son of Wildback last year now. And they did the, one of those sort of funny questions at the end. And one of the questions was, you know, would you do a charity fight with Piers Morgan? And I said, yeah. Next time we were on the TV together on his programme on Good Morning Britain, um, he was absolutely up for it. And then I spoke to Frank Warren, who was going to promote it. We got Sean Dyche, who was going to be my corner man. Uh, John, <laughs> John, John Burko was going to be the MC. It was all going. And, and Piers was totally up for it. And then he just... Out of the blue, I got a message from him, text from him saying, uh, mate, I always know if he says mate, you know, he's kind of asking for something. <clears throat> and he said, uh, this is going to be terrible for both of us. We shouldn't do it, blah, blah, blah. I was really up for it. Absolutely. I think we're, we're all looking forward to seeing it, to be honest with you. <laughs> yeah, no, it would have been good. It would have been good. But there we are. Anyway, the training was good anyway. Um, in terms of the current situation, you mentioned your, your blog articles, which have been very good. Something that um, was really nice to see was the clapping for the NHS, and I really enjoyed watching you playing the bagpipes. What Describe that evening for me. Well, as you know, I do play the bagpipes, and I, and, and I think, again, being home 24 hours a day, or pretty much 24 hours a day, uh, I've probably been playing more. I've been practising more. Um, and... So we've got, we've lived here now in, uh, we're in, I'm in Gospel Oak in North London. We've lived here for about, wow, since Grace was born, so 25, 26 years. And we've had the same neighbours that way. Um, and so they've been like, they, our kids have grown up together. And so the, one of the neighbours next door, Sissy, she's a nurse now at the Whittington Hospital. And it's just that, it was just a kind of, it just ran, it just sort of happened because her shift ended. At the end, she was coming home and it was coinciding with that 8 p.m. clapping in the street. So her mum and her sister were at next door. And, um, you know, when they said the sissy's just on the way back, I thought, well, why don't we just pipe her up the street? 
<laughs> so it was nice. It was really nice, really nice. And it got loads and loads and loads of, uh, I think it got 250,000 views overnight on Twitter. Um, yeah, as I see, it was, it was unbelievable. So, yeah, and then I noticed the next day, people were sending me their videos of they've been other people have been playing the pipes and what have you. But and I think that my, I've got to tell you, though, not to get too political, um, my favorite tweet about the whole thing was a guy who said he was from from Germany. And he said, yeah, we clap our national health system every day as well by funding it. <laughs> I like that as well. I saw that. <laughs> Absolutely. Um I want to ask you about the situation in terms of um, football. You're you're wearing your Burnley tracksuit there. Um, how much are you missing? retro. Got um, and I've got I've got a Burnley strip on as well. Just this is just for you, <laughs> Callum. I thought I've got to wear a football strip. <laughs> how much are you missing Burnley at the moment? And have you been speaking to Sean Dyche about the the situation he's facing as a manager with the lockdown? Yeah, I have. I've been speaking to him quite a lot actually, and. Um, uh, uh, yeah, it's been difficult to be honest. It's just it just changes. I mean, the thing about football, <clears throat> if you support a team like I do, and you kind of go to most games, it's just it's just part of that rhythm of the week. And you know, when that's gone, it's like so. Like yesterday was Saturday, but it was it was no different to Tuesday or Wednesday or Thursday or Friday. <laughs> it was just another day in this kind of you know rather weird environment. Um, so yeah, I have missed it, and I've missed I've missed. Um, just the whole thing of live sport and TV as well. Um, yesterday, I was watching some old, video, old videos. I watched the, I watched the England Scotland game, nineteen, which was the one when they invaded the pitch. Was it seventy four? Yeah. Um, and then I watched, uh, I watched a bit of Celtic into Milan as well, nineteen sixty seven. <laughs> uh, and actually, some of the clubs have been doing. Burnley have been putting some great stuff out the, the, on the club website and some of these other websites. One of the quite neat things that the Burnley official website's been doing is been doing these 20-second clips, and in the corner they've got the players washing their hands for 20 seconds. So we had uh-huh. Ashley Barnes the other day, his first goal for Burnley took exactly 20 seconds from leaving the goalkeeper to him putting the back of the net. So you've got the goal, you've got the, the move, the build-up to the goal, and in the corner you've got Ashley Barnes washing his hands. <laughs> and we, did one with Nick, we did, they did one with Nick Pope. One of the great moments this season was Nick Pope's penalty save from Jamie Vardy, which definitely that that was the turning point. That we went on to beat Leicester, and that was one of our really one of our best wins of the season. And um, so you've got the, the you've got the ball on the spot. You've got Vardy lining himself up to take it, and then it's twenty seconds from from that to Pope making the save. And so in the corner, you got Pope washing his hands. So. Yeah, clubs. Some clubs have been really good at um, trying to keep the fans engaged and, and so forth. But yeah, I, don't, I can't pretend it's. it's I'm, I am missing it a lot. I want to ask you just while we're talking about football, what's a, a, a normal match day like for you when you go to Turfmore? Uh, get the train. Get the train up to Preston in the, about half eight. Sometimes I get there half nine. I get picked up. I see you've got my book behind you, Alistair Campbell and Paul Fletcher. Yes, <laughs> underneath King Kenny. I'll tell you, I've got a bad word to say about him in a minute. I think he is King <laughs> Kenny, but um, Paul Fletcher, if people don't know, he's a former Burnley player. Uh, he, he came back to the club as chief executive years and years and years later. He's, he's a really close friend of mine now. He picks me up at Preston Station. We drive over. Um, I have, uh, you know, get something to eat, watch the game. He drives me back to the station, and I usually, I just about make the right train, and I, and I can actually be, I can be back going by half eight. <laughs> Brilliant. Maybe in terms nine. of, in terms of um, games this season, what's been your favourite game of the season so far? You mentioned the the victory over Leicester. Does that top everything so far? Uh, we've had some great games this season. We really, really have. Um, yeah, I think the Leicester game, just because of, you know, it was one of those games where you kind of felt we were, we were sort of drift, we were drifting out of it. But um, the that penalty save was just fantastic. And then, and, and you know, a couple of good goals. Um, which other games? I actually, <laughs> it wasn't that great a game. That was a terrible game. But Bournemouth away was good. Uh, it was one of those games where I think the goal was the only shot on target. Um, (laughs) and I've got to say I quite like the kind of really tough one you know Newcastle away nil-nil that was a real grind but you know it was uh, 
what else has been good? We've had some great games this season. And, and that run recently, I mean, the, one of the, I've, I've been to most games, but I didn't, I missed Man United away. And we beat them 2 0. So that was, uh, that was, that was, I mean, that was, I was following that on the Clarets player, the, com- the club commentary. Um, that was pretty cool. That was cool. Um, but yeah, I think I think Leicester beating Leicester was a really big win. One of the players I really like watching at Burnley is Dwight McNeil. He's obviously come on come on to the scene in the last couple of years. Do you think he's someone that's got a big future in football? Yeah, definitely. In fact, I watched our recent game. Who was who was the last home game? I'm, I've got a really bad memory for football, by the way. But uh, who the hell was it? Last home game. Um, it'll come back to me. But I was sitting next to. Gareth Southgate was there with one of his one of his guys from the under twenty ones, England under twenty ones, and I love sitting next to the people who really really know about football when I'm watching football, and he was explaining to me why why Dwight McNeil is is such a talent. Now it's kind of obvious if you're a fan, you're watching it, but actually, you know there are things that these guys see that we maybe don't, um, and uh, yeah, he's he's been he's been really really impressive this season, really good. You mentioned the fact you're missing football. I want to ask you about the season. Do you think there's a? Do you think the season will get finished, or do you think it will be a situation where they might just have to null and void it? I know that would cause chaos for Liverpool, but it seems like something that the, the longer this continues, the more likely li- likelihood is it is going to have to have to potentially be voided, which is a shame. I saw UEFA, the guy, um, the president today, Alexander Sheriffin, had said that if this continues past June, they might have to consider just calling the season off as such. What's your Ooh. thoughts on that? I mean, I think it's really, really complicated. I mean, on the, you know, people, right from the start, when this thing started, people were saying, oh, well, it's so obvious Liverpool are going to win the title, you've got to give it to them. But the problem once you do that is then how do you decide all the other positions? How do you decide? Yeah. I mean, like, we mentioned Bournemouth there. If Bournemouth was to get relegated at the moment on the basis that, you know, let's just go with the, the, the thing as it is now, which is the principle that you're saying with Liverpool, that becomes mm-hmm. really, really, really difficult. Um, and I th- think, you know, I mean, I do think without criticising the government too much, I do think they've been pretty cavalier. I think this idea that this thing is going to end anytime soon, I think, is for the birds. I think it's going to go on for quite some time. So, uh, you know, you might get to a position where, you know, the clubs literally just have to cram games in one after the other, whether they like it or not. Um, but I think even that's tricky. Even that is tricky. Um, my son Rory, who you may know, he works in football. He's in data and analytics, and he was saying to me yesterday, "Look, you know, the country's going to go mad without football. Got to bring it back somehow, um, and even doing it behind closed doors." But just think about that. You couldn't actually play. I'm thinking about doing another twenty list, right? Twenty <laughs> reasons why you couldn't actually play football with social distancing. Couldn't do walls. You couldn't do tackles. You couldn't do, you couldn't do throw-ins because you'd be handling the ball. And then the goalkeeper throws it, and then then another player. You have to sort of wash your hands in between every every move. <laughs> you couldn't have the coin toss. You couldn't have mascots. I mean, it'd be like. So I think that's going to be very very difficult. So I yeah I, I suspect it maybe it will end at that. And um, but the legal ramifications for this are enormous. People haven't really yeah. got their heads around that yet. Well, that's the thing. I was on um, the radio the other night, and they asked me about um, what I think will happen in Scotland, and I said. Well, the problem you're going to have is, especially with the broadcasters, if we are in a situation where they call off the season, broadcasters, Sky and BT, will say, well, the season's not finished and we pay for the four Celtic Rangers games and we've not had four yet, we've only had two. So yeah, I, I, yeah. I totally agree, it'll cause chaos. No, it's going, to be, it's going to be absolutely horrific. And, you know, I, th- I think that for... For um, for all of these clubs, the, you know, this this thing's going to mean so much change for all of us, right? But I think actually working through the 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 ramifications of this now are, are going to be it's going to keep everybody busy for a long, long time. And you know, in, and even just think about think about okay, look, in the end, it's the entertainment industry. It's a, it's a spectacle. People have to watch yep. it. Just imagine if this social distancing thing was a form of it was still going on with crowds. Oh my God! You, how, how does that even work? You know, so like you see, when you go to the shop now and you're standing two, three meters apart, how does that work when you're going through turnstiles? Can you imagine? Can you imagine celebrating a goal with social distancing? It's difficult. <laughs> how, well, how are you going to stop yourself jumping? You know that way where people jump on complete strangers when you score a goal. I mean, 
has got it. The reason I'm looking down here, I'm desperate. Like, why? Oh, um, uh, yeah, uh, Southampton. Yeah. Sorry, I'm, <laughs> I'm looking at the uh, yeah, Leicester. That was definitely. Then, then we had. Then we lost to Norwich. Then we had Arsenal, Southampton, Bournemouth, Newcastle, Tottenham. Ah, oh, it was Tottenham. Of course, it was. Yeah. That was the last game. Was Tottenham. Yeah. Um, as you say, it's been a, a, a good season for Burnley so far, and hopefully it'll be picked up soon. I've got a, a daft question for you now. You've obviously worked with some of the biggest political heavyweights in the UK, the history of UK politics. If you had to make a five-a-side team, who would be in it? What, from around the world or just from Labour? From Labour, the people you worked with. Right, OK. Uh, yeah, I'll put Tony up front. Uh, I think I'd have Gordon central midfield uh, alongside John Reid Celtic um, I think I put John Prescott in goal <laughs> and I think it'd be I'll have the I'll have women shouting at me if I don't put a woman in there I'm going to put Margaret Beckett in alongside John Reid and would you manage the team? definitely <laughs> That's not a bad team, is it? Prescott in goal, Beckett, Brown, Reed, Tony up front. That's not bad. I think I think that I think you're right. I think that would be that would be quite good. Um, you you said I've got obviously your book behind me. I've got Kenny Dalglish behind me. You said you had a story about Kenny Dalglish to tell us. What what is that story? Well, I always loved Kenny Dalglish as a player, um, and I knew him a little bit. But then I got to know him better when I, I played in the second soccer aid. The first one was the one with Maradona, which I never, ever talk about <laughs> every single day. And then so Kenny was the manager of the rest of the world team because I, I was given a choice of playing for England or the rest of the world. And you'll be pleased with this, Callum. In the first one, I played for the rest of the world and had a Scotland strip under my rest of the world kit. Yeah. And I had a, and I had a Burnley vest under that. OK, so, so Kenny was Kenny was rest of the world manager. And the thing about Root Hullet, who was our gaffer in the first one, he really liked me for my politics and my insights for politics and all that sort of stuff. So he put me in the team, right? <laughs> Kenny, Kenny was much more ruthless about the football thing. He put me on the bench because he knew I was pretty crap, right? And he didn't, he didn't bring me on to the 87th minute. And at one point, there, was, there were, you know... Um, Harry Redknapp, who was the England manager, was shouting across to Dalglish and pointing at me, saying, when are you going to put him on then? When are you going to put him on? Because <laughs> you, you were meant to sort of even it up between, you know, good players and not as good players. Anyway, at the after-match party, my mum, who was in her 80s by then, and she's a very polite woman, and she went up to Kenny and she said, Mr Dalglish... She was from Ayrshire, my mum. She said, Mr. Mr. Dalglish, I've always been a great fan of yours, but not anymore. <laughs> I, came, I came all the way down to Wembley to watch my son, and he didn't even put him on till there was three minutes to go. <laughs> Kenny got telt. <laughs> In terms of um, Kenny, you mentioned the fact he was a great player and the fact your mum told him off even better. Um, you've got a really big passion for Scottish football in Scotland as a country, um, especially the national team. You actually support our national team, don't you? I do, yeah. And in fact, that, that book, although it's set in an English team, there's a lot about Scottish football in that book because the main character, Charlie Gordon, the, the manager, he's a, he's a Scottish footballer, played for Hearts, um, but he's also one of those Scots living in England who constantly lives under this illusion that Scottish football is better than English football. Now, and that was something, a big part of my sort of upbringing, because I grew up in England. But I think there was a feeling back then, I mean, I think you'd, you'd be hard-pressed to say it's like that now. But yeah. back then, you could easily make the case that, you know, and like I said, I watched yesterday, the Scotland beat England, and there, there was 74, there was 67, there was lots of different, 68 was it? But there was a whole run of games when Scotland were easily holding their own against some of the biggest countries in the world and every English club back then had a you know like a prominent Scot in the team and uh, so I think that 
yeah, it's been sad to some extent, but I still think there's, you know, there's such a passion in Scotland for, the, for football that yeah. I think eventually something, you know, good will come back. Um, and look, the, the, the still, you look at the, you know, you've got, obviously you've got Celtic and Rangers are huge clubs. Um, I'll tell you the other thing I was watching yesterday, just when I was kind of <laughs> flicking through old videos on YouTube, that um, Hibbs rendition of uh, the lead song at the cup final, Oh, brilliant. Sunshine and Leaf, brilliant. I, I actually sent that to um, a friend friend of mine who's, I won't say who is, but he's, he's a prime minister. He's not a prime minister. He's, he's like, oh, I'll tell you who is. Albanian prime minister. He loves, <laughs> he, he loves football and he loves the whole sort of passion thing. So I sent him a clip of that yesterday. I said, just look at this. This is special. Um, so I, I, and I think that, yeah, I've got, a, I, I think my son Callum, he's also called Callum, He's uh, he's a big Scotland fan as well, um, and he'll, he'll he'll regularly I'll get a text message saying, "Are you watching St Mirren against Kilmarnock?" Because <laughs> 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 he will be. So yeah, um, I've got two Scottish teams actually. I've got I know you're not allowed. I mean, Burnley is my team, hundred percent right. But I I have always had a soft spot for Celtic because of Lisbon. That was one of the the that was one of the defining sporting moments of my childhood I can it's one of my first really clear sporting memories yeah um and then I also support Kilmarnock because my mum was from Ayrshire and um and then I guess if I had a third one my dad's my dad was from the Hebrides but he went to Glasgow University as you did and he ended up like a lot of Glasgow University students kind of supporting Party Thistle <laughs> so he was a he was a Party Thistle fan so yeah I, I always I watch Scottish football I check on the results and uh and yeah, I do. I support if, when it comes to Scotland against anybody, and uh, and it's not just football actually. I mean, Scotland. You know, I'm I'm not I'm not a hundred percent anyone but England, but I I have my moments. <laughs> I want to move on to to talk about mental health with you. And before we talk about that, I just want to use this opportunity to say thank you for everything you've done for me in terms of getting in touch with me, sending me the book, lovely message, wishing me well with the podcast. And you, the birthday message you sent me, and you mentioned the fact your son's also called Callum. Callum's actually been in touch with me as well. He's been listening to the pod. He's been listening to the podcast, and he's been wishing me well. And I just want to thank you for everything you've done for me. Well, that's a pleasure. That's a pleasure. I mean, I think the mental health agenda is, um, you know, is really important. And you've been out there as you know, campaigning and arguing and being public, just as I have. So uh, we're part of the same team on this one. Absolutely, and as I say. Um, from the start, I, I've been desperate to get you on the podcast, and and I'm glad that you're on today. And hopefully, we can we can do one face to face about yeah. your, your love of Burnley long term as well. Because recently, you were up in Scotland working uh, with the SFA. Can you just talk a wee bit about what that was before we go into some of the mental health? Yeah, stuff? basically, um, Jim Fleeting when he was running the co- coaching the pro license, and now Marky Mackay and his his job. He, he's asked me to carry on. I just I just do these fairly regular sessions with the the, the 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 guys doing the pro license course um you know about leadership and strategy and uh dealing with the media and all this sort of stuff so i really really enjoy it actually i think there's some uh there's some great characters on it and and it's also really interesting to see the you know the different sorts of people who are you know it's you've got you've got far more women now involved um you've got and by the way you talk about podcasts shelly kerr came on our live podcast at the edinburgh festival she was brilliant You've got, um, uh, and the last one, there was a guy, I'm, there was a guy who'd uh, won a Champions League medal with Monaco. Uh, there were some guys who were working with some of the English clubs, one of Joey Barton's team from Fleetwood, they were there. Um, and, and obviously a lot of the, the Scottish guys as well. So, yeah, I really enjoy it. I really enjoy it. I, I've always loved football people. I've always loved talking about football, talking to football. And I love talking to football with people who really, really know. I mean, I pretend that I know. <laughs> I, pretend that, I pretend that I'm really knowledgeable about football, but I'm not. I'm not. The fact that, for example, I had to struggle to remember what our last game was, right? I can remember Steve Cottrell when he was the Burnley manager. I once went into his office, and on his desk he had he had the fixture list. There's our there's our. Can you see that? There's our fixture list this year. <laughs> he had the he had the fixture list on his desk, right? And he so like we were about two thirds of the way through the season. And I would say, oh, say that game played against Forest. Who scored? I can't remember who scored for us. He would then 
describe, wouldn't just tell you who scored it, he'd describe the goal, he'd tell you the build-up, he'd tell you the throw-in that happened four minutes earlier in the lead-up to the, to the build-up. And you think, and so these, I think these guys in football, some of them, Sean Dyche and Ian the same. If, you're, if I'm out for dinner with Sean Dyche and Ian Wone and they're talking about games in the past, games they played in as well when they were players, but the memory that they have, whereas I just don't have that. I think, I think the reason is that for me, football, and particularly watching Burnley, is such an escape. Yeah. So, that when, so that when I go to um, a game, it's just for the 90 minutes, whatever it is, I'm absolutely in that and nothing else. But then when I'm out of it, it's kind of gone. Um, and, and whereas I think if you're in the game, if you're professional in the game, I think you remember it so much more. So much more. Who's that coming Absolutely. Um, in terms of football, you, you've summed up perfectly there in the sense that it is an escape for so many of us. And I want to talk to you about your mental health journey. One of the big turning points for me was watching Depression and Me, your programme in the BBC. Um, I really enjoyed that programme. I enjoyed the fact that you explored the treatments that are available. Very honestly, you talked about your own personal experience. And I'm going to be honest with you, Alistair, that was one of the... That, that show and, and that work you did on that was one of the main things that made me realise when I started to struggle that I needed to seek help. So, um, I, again, I can only thank you for producing that because it helped me a lot. Can you just talk about your mental health journey and, and, and that show in general? Yeah, I've actually, um, I've actually written a book now based on the, some of the, the research that we did. Um, so, yeah, I had a breakdown in the 80s. Um, I was uh, hospitalised in um, uh, Paisley. Uh, the breakdown, the final culmination of the breakdown was in Hamilton. See how I'm weaving in all these Scottish football references. <laughs> the, last, the last drink that I had before the breakdown was in Falkirk. <laughs> My day went, uh, I started to feel really bad at Edinburgh. Uh, no, no um, uh, what's the, the Rosyth Naval Dockyard? Who's the nearest team to Rosyth? Oh, that's a Who question. That be? I'm not sure. <laughs> so that was that. Would it be Dunfermline? Maybe. Might be Dunfermline or Wraith Rovers. Maybe Wraith Rovers. Yeah, yeah, it could be. So anyway, that was where it all sort of really started to go wrong. Went to Perth, where Neil Kinnock was making a speech. So did the St Johnston bit. Last week in <laughs> Falkirk, breakdown in Hamilton, uh, arrested in Hamilton, hospitalised in Paisley. So all of those Scottish football clubs <laughs> weaving through. And then, so that was, um, I was, you know, diagnosed as having had a psychotic, it was a psychotic breakdown, um, told to advise to stop drinking. Um, and then subsequently, once I was started to start to recover, realised I was getting these quite bad bouts of depression. Um, and they've kind of come and gone ever since, really. Uh, but I've got them broadly. I'm, 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 I'm in pretty good shape at the moment. Yes, one, of the thing, one of the things that, that I, well, the thing I struggle with most and I did struggle with was, was anxiety. And you talked about the, and the nature of the jobs you've had over the years and the, the pressurised situations you've worked in that you, anxiety kicks in for you when, you when you don't feel in control of something. And, and that's how I feel as well. Just how tough is anxiety to deal with when it sort of swarms over you? Oh, it's awful. I mean, it's like, um, it, funny enough, I was thinking at the moment with the coronavirus thing going on, you know, I, I, I like to think I'm quite good in the crisis. I've, I've got a lot of experience with crisis management, but I can remember, and I'm sure there are people in there now who've got this feeling, I can remember sometimes just getting to a state where you think, this is my life forever. This pressure, this sense of not feeling, un this sense of that things aren't under control, um, and it's a horrible feeling. And I mean, I've never, I've never, I've, I've known depression, the real depths of depression, that anxiety that I know that a lot of people get where um, I get rumination, I get, you know, where I, I can't stop thinking, but I'm yeah. not feeling, I can't stop thinking about stuff that doesn't really matter. It's often, or some of it might, I mean, I can, when I'm insomnia, I can lie awake at night and one minute I'm worrying about climate change and is the world going to be here? And the next minute, I'm worrying about one of the kids. And then the next, so that's kind of stuff that really matters. And the next minute, I might be into a loop in my, my mind where 
I'm thinking about this is in the days when we were flying. I'm I'm thinking maybe right, I've got a trip to Prague next week to do a conference. Uh, I'm going to get there on the Monday. The things on the Tuesday. I've got to be there on the Wednesday. But then I've got to go to Vienna to do that thing. And I'm I'm absolutely onto how many coat hangers should I take for the shirt hanging. <laughs> and that while that's happening, yeah. can be as can be as you know as climate change. It doesn't matter what it is. The issue isn't the issue. It's like you know. It's just that your mind's in a bad state. And that's 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 definitely a kind of form of anxiety that's just kind of kicking over, and it's horrible. I hate it. No, I agree. I think from my point of view, um, when I went through the, the my anxiety was just I felt as if the way I describe it is the world was going on around me, but I felt as if I was watching it from the outside and I wasn't participating, and everything yeah. just seemed to speed up. And as you said, with your insomnia. I went through that as well, where just the, the, the thoughts in my head were just constantly on a loop and it felt like there was no escape. And people say, oh, you'll, you'll feel better soon. But you know yourself, when you get through a bout of depression or anxiety, it's, it feels impossible that it's going to change and it's improbable at that time. And then luckily I've come out the other side and I feel I feel a lot better now and I'm managing it a lot better. But when you're in that, that bout, as you know, it's just mm. it can be a, a real challenge that you think you're never going to escape. I think that is the thing is that you think this is this is it forever. And even though, you know, I mean, your logical mind tells you, well, I've been through this before. I, I, that's one of the things I do now when it happens. I say, well, I've done this before. I've been through it before and therefore I'll get through it again. But there's definitely a point at which you think, oh, no, this is it. This is the big one. This is the last. This is really the end now. This is my life forever. So, I might, you know, and then you're in, the, the loop takes you into, well, I might as well end it. And that's when you get, you know, suicidal ideation and all that stuff. Um, and I have to say, I mean, it really worries me. This, I think that, I think this, I think you talk about anxiety and, and, and mental health challenges. I think this virus, this coronavirus thing, is really going to challenge a lot of people. Um, and you know, it's just that I don't know. I, th I think the long-term psychological consequences of this are big. They're big, and we really. And, I, and I, the other thing, I was I was talking to you, somebody yesterday who runs one of the, ch the big charities, and you know charities are going to be really hard hit by this and it's going to get so i think at the moment it feels like we're kind of at the center of the storm but you know once we're through it there are all sorts of unforeseen consequences that we're going to have to take seriously you mentioned the charity sector there and the, the work that mental health charities do the work that that you do promote mental health i'm doing my best to do the same without getting too political do you believe i, I read your article today that the funding for charities has to come from the government and fast and is that something you're hoping the chancellor um, and the prime minister will announce as soon as possible well it's interesting i mean i don't think i i, I think that you know if you think about right this thing comes along uh, i think it will come out in the wash that i don't think the government handled it well at the start they're way too cavalier way too slow but we're through that they now realize that this is a full-blown crisis and i think that you know in terms of you know the injection into the economy to try to keep companies afloat that's the right thing to do because companies in the end are uh, you know, the ones who employ so many many people who have been worrying about their livelihoods yeah. then to turn to the self-employed and freelancers absolutely right but i do think charities has got to be the next one because i think it's easy for us to think of charities as well they're the people out with the begging bowl and they stop in the street and they're asking annoying questions all that sort of stuff <laughs> But actually, charities, uh, particularly since austerity, but there have always been charities. Charities are part of the public services. You know, you 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 will know yourself from your experience with with, with mental health and mental illness that, you know, a lot of the best stuff is actually done by charities. And if you think about, just to give you a few examples, you to think about like one of the charities I'm involved in is Bloodwise, the blood cancer charity. Well, we now know people now know that. If you have blood cancer, you are amongst the most vulnerable from this COVID-19. You literally can't go out of the house. Um, now, that is that has led to a massive increase, massive, in the demand on the Bloodwise hotline support. Well, they've, they've had to bring people in to deal with the demand. So the idea that they can furlough staff, they can have to yeah. get more staff. Well, where's the money going to come when... Donations are falling. The big events. Think of I the millions. Them. They've been cancelled. Think of the millions of people around the country that were changing, training for triathlons, for 
London Marathon, for half marathons, for charity events. Why were they doing it? To give money to charities. That's gone. Companies, they're either going under or they're cutting back. And what's one of the first things you cut back on if you're a company? Cut back on the on the charitable donations and the charity partnerships. Mm. So that's going to put a massive impact on charities. And lots of them, I'm afraid, are going to go to the wall. So the government has to step in there too. Um, and yeah, I really, really do hope that uh, that is the ne their next port of call. Absolutely. I think it's something that, that needs to be done. And in terms of mental health and, and things that have kept me going, especially during this isolation, you've talked about football videos and things. Football documentaries is something that's kept me going. Um, I really enjoyed watching the Sir Bobby Robson documentary, More Than a Manager. That was, that was absolutely brilliant. Um, have, you the, have, just, you the, have you seen the Maradona film? I did. I thought it was incredible. What did you make of it? I thought it was good. I was, I was, I was really surprised that he, did, he didn't have the bit about me playing with him. I thought that was a big part <laughs> of his, a big part of his story. But maybe he was just worried about being overshadowed. I don't know. No, I thought it was good. I didn't think it was. I mean, I love Maradona. I didn't think it was great. I thought it was really good, but I didn't think it was great. Um, and I understand why they wanted to focus on that narrow part of the story, the Naples story, and it is interesting. But I think I'd like to have seen something broader. Um, I must tell you a funny story about that as well, talking about King Kenny there. I went to the, I was invited to the premiere in London and the bit where the hand of God steps in. Yeah. I think you'll find, this was in London, I think there were two people in the cinema who let out a little cheer. <laughs> I think I might be one of them, and I, I've got a funny feeling that the other one was King Kenny's daughter. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> um, in terms of Maradona, I need to ask you, you, you've talked about it a lot. What was it no, like I never playing with Maradona? I never talk about it, ever. <laughs> Oh, tremendous! What do you want me to talk about? I mean, I'll, I'll talk about it for you, Callum. Um, just describe what it was like in terms of—is that one of the moments in life where you just pinch yourself? Oh yeah, it was. Um, okay, it was. Uh, no, it was. It was. Um, I've got to say, if I, and this just shows you the power of football, right? Um, you, if we, right, I'm downstairs at the moment. If you were up in my office now, right? Okay. There's a picture of there's a picture of Tony. There's a picture, you know, when he when we won in 1997. Yeah. Uh, there's one of Cl there's one of I've got a picture of Clinton. I've got a picture of Mandela. Um, but I think that's about it on the political front. But there are several of Maradona uh, with me, obviously. You know, my friend. <laughs> No, it was incredible. It was incredible. It was soccer aid. We'd been trading all week and we'd had all these other... I mean, it was as if it wasn't, you know... Maradona was like the icing on the cake because we had Schmeichel, Zola, uh, Gaza, uh, Lesford, Nantoni, um, uh, Al uh, Seaman, Adams. Um, we played this... The warm-up game for the rest of the world team, we played against um, the Scotland Euro 1916. And here's an incredible story. I mentioned the Burnley Newcastle game. Yeah. I went to that and I was booked to do one of these courses with the SFA on the Sunday. So the SFA, the trains didn't work out. The SFA sent a driver to pick me up to get me up to Glasgow. Do you know who my driver was? You tell me. Darren Jackson. And Darren Jackson, he was the right winger who absolutely destroyed me in that <laughs> in that game against the Scotland in the Euro 1960. I mean, destroyed me. Uh, I was playing alongside Marcel Desailly and I knew things were bad when uh, Marcel basically said to me after I'd been Jackson had passed me for the fourth time and, you know, and Desailly said to me, he says, listen, don't worry, we all have days like this sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, on the Thursday of the, the we were playing up to the, the, the Saturday, the game was at Old Trafford. And on the Thursday, they announced that Maradona was coming on the Friday. And it wasn't just me. I mean, people like Desai, who just won the World Cup, he was like a child. He was like a child. And yeah, so I had this thing on the morning of the game. I couldn't sleep. I got up. I went for a walk. I came back to the hotel. And the only other person who was up was Maradona. And he wanted to go and train. 
on the pitch at Old Trafford. And he and I, the only two up, we got in a van. We went up to Old Trafford, and, and it was it was it was an hour, one of the most memorable hours of my life. Me knocking a ball about with Diego Maradona at Old Trafford ahead of a game. It was amazing. I've written about, I don't know if you've read my book on winners, but I've written a chapter about visualisation. And it's all based on stuff that he was telling me about visualisation. And then in the game, he was great. He played 90 minutes. Um, the after-match party, he was the, he was the one everybody wanted to get their picture with. He's just <laughs> special, really special, really special. Something else that's helped me recently has been football books as well. And as I say, I've got the book behind me, Saturday, Bloody Saturday. It's a novel. You've obviously got your diaries as well, which non-football related. But I think, how many volumes are we on now? Eight? eight yeah, I'm eight volume eight. But actually, one of the best, one of my favourite things about the diaries is in the index, there is an index that says Burnley FC, comma, matches scene. So, <laughs> and I think I've got a funny feeling that in one volume... Millwall was the game, the team that I most watched. So we must have played them in the cup or something. I don't know. But yeah, so no, football's a big, 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 big part of my life and a big part of my. And, and the book I've just finished about depression um, is, you know, I've got a bit about, and, you know, people can laugh at this, but when I think about how I manage my own mental health, football is a big part of it. Sport, doing it, and sport yeah. watching it, big part of it. Totally agree, and that leads me on perfectly to to the twenty tips you wrote about mental health. I've, I've sort of blocked them into categories. The first category of I've I've put together is make sure you're active, make sure you exercise, keep on top of your diet, cut down your alcohol consumption, and make sure you're getting good sleep. In terms of that first block, there, how important are those? Obviously, these are your your tips. I think the fundamental. I mean, I'm I'm. Uh, you know, as Fiona would tell you, I'm sort of do get slightly manic phases where I'm very, very hyperactive, um, and I've got to be watched. I've got to watch that a bit. But I think keeping active is just incredibly important. I, I, if I'm not busy, I get very down. And then sleep, diet, exercise. These are things that you know. When I talk about my breakdown, there are three things I just didn't do. I didn't look after my sleep. I didn't look after my diet. I didn't exercise. I didn't drink too much. And I think they were big contributors to my to my breakdown. So I think. Yeah, I think really, really important. And, you know, the things we can all do, I mean, we, you know, I know, I know it's hard and it's, you know, sometimes people say, oh, it's all right, you guys have got a bit of money, you can go and, you know, you can live, buy healthy food and all that, but everybody can do that. You know, if you really take care of diet, I think it's so important. Uh, and a lot of this stuff that we're talking about, you know, underlying health, and you keep hearing, you know, underlying health conditions, a lot of it's caused by junk food, uh, you know, and... So I think diet's just very, very important. And exercise to me every day, got to, got to do it. No, no, no exceptions. The second block I've got, I've, I've obviously reading books, reading something we've talked about today, cutting down your social media output and writing. And you've been writing every day, as you've said, your, your 20, 20, 20 opinions on, on, on a subject matter. <laughs> Basically, how important is it in a time like this to be creative? Because we've all got a wee bit of extra time in our hands. Well, you say we all have. I think well, you know yeah. nurses so, and doctors don't, and they uh, don't. Yeah, you know, sorry. The, the, so, and, but for them, I think it's even more important. You know, if you're under pressure, it's even more important to try to sleep, to try to eat, and it's healthily and so forth. But yeah, I've always written a lot, and I do find helping. I do find writing as a kind of therapeutic thing for me. Um, and I, I and also the other sort of creative. I mentioned my bagpipes. I I will quite often just get on the pipes. And I'll just play stuff that I'm kind of making up as I go along, <clears throat> which is, you know, part of the creative process. I've just written another novel. So, yeah, I think creativity and not just creativity, but the other side of that is curiosity. You know, stay, stay curious. Um, uh, learn, you know, one of the great things about reading books is actually you're learning new stuff all the time. Um, so, yeah, I think, I think creativity and curiosity are very important. The Callum, that I've blocked Callum, in... Callum, Callum, I'm, I'm going to have to get a phone charge. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> Just hold on a minute. Hold on a minute. Where's my bloody charger? I think oh, I may have left it. Uh, yeah, I've left it upstairs. But don't worry, I've got one down here. I'll, I'll have to plug you in the kitchen now. <laughs> okay, I'm back. <laughs> what I was going to say was the next block, um, I've 
I've called sort of. I don't want to sound too cheesy, but it's basically a kind of a bit love in the sense that look after your loved ones, do good deeds, and you, you've also said contact someone you've lost contact with. How important are those things to do? Because that's something that, especially the contacting someone you've lost contact with, something that maybe a lot of people haven't thought about. Yeah, I think that yeah, certainly. I think that you know, looking after your key relationships is the most important thing. Um, you know, if you think about it, it's me and Fiona, right? And, 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 and we're, we're seeing each other with, like, with the dog. We're here 24 hours a day together. <laughs> I mean, you know, so uh, I, I'm, I'm really lucky in that, you know, I actually quite like being with Fiona. What it's like being, you know, in a, in a relationship or a family where people are not getting on, that's, that's, uh, that's feels pretty grim to me. So I think that's important. And then, yeah, the thing about reaching out was was partly. Oh, there's there's the other Callum phoning. What do I do? Do I just press decline? I think so. Yeah, that's better. I'll I'll um I'll phone him back. Um, the. But how can can I if I can turn this around? If I show you this, I'm going to show you something here. Talk about Fiona and creativity. You see that on the wall? Yep. You see, it's a sheet music. Uh huh. Right. That's a tune that I wrote with Mary Ann Kennedy, who's a musician up in the Highlands, and it's Alistair's Ode to Fiona on her 60th. <laughs> so writing music is quite important. Um, yeah, and I think the thing about reaching out to people is is just, you know, we, we do have a bit of time. And, and, and so I've been, I've been sort of trying once a day to think of somebody I've lost touch with. Not lost touch with, but maybe I haven't seen for five years, maybe 10 years or something, and just sort of, you know, drop them an email, pick up the phone, whatever. And then and doing stuff for other people, I think, is actually, well, this has been so many mental health studies have, have shown this, that actually one of the best ways to look after your own mental health is to do things for other people. Absolutely. And I think that's something that obviously in my role as a teacher, your role with the, the mental health charities and, and your writing and your public speaking certainly do as well. And the last section I've blocked off into is nature, your sense of perspective and obviously learning from setbacks. I want to talk about nature, first of all. I've been really fascinated by your tree of the day. I never thought trees could be so interesting. <laughs> Amazing. That's driving. We go out and walk the dog every morning. We did a two-hour walk this morning, right? And it's driving Fiona mad because I'm taking hundreds of pictures of trees. And then I sit down and I'm, <laughs> I've actually had this idea of having, now that the Olympics have gone, we should have tree of the day Olympics, right? And I'm saying... You could have these different categories, like you'd have. It'd be like Crufts, you know. You've got the overall winner, right? That's the that's <laughs> the Olympic gold medalist, is the the best tree of the lot. But then you've got you've got trees that you can sit in. You've got trees, <laughs> the trees, and you can do that male and female trees. <laughs> trees as chairs, male trees as chairs. You've got trees you can lie down in, and you could have mixed. You could have mixed doubles on that. <laughs> I've got. I've got a decathlon. I've got a tree up on Hampstead Heath. I'm, I'm calling it the decathlon tree because there's ten different exercises you can do on the one tree. You can do press ups. You can do sit ups. You can do burpees. You can do sit. You can do wall sits. So I'm doing this, and and then you, you do categories like I, I've invented a new category yesterday. Yesterday morning, trees outside police stations that Boris Johnson shut when he was mayor. I've got a lot of them. <laughs> So yeah, but, I, but I, and, and the other thing I've noticed as well, I don't know if you've noticed this, the, the lack of pollution uh, through fewer cars and lorries and airplane, airplanes, yep. um, the bird song is so loud. Loud, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely, I agree. That's a good thing. Definitely. And in terms of, we talked about as well, perspective and learning from setbacks, just how important is it to learn from setbacks? Because especially during this time, we talked about mental health and the fact people might have some setbacks at this moment. How important is it to, for people to see those as learning opportunities? Well, I, 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 well it, I wrote a book a few years ago called The Happy Depressive, and one of the lines in it was, you know, G-G-O-O-B, get good out of bad. And look, there's a, this is bad, right? What's happening in the world is bad. A lot of people are dying. Health systems under under pressure. Economies collapsing and all that is really bad. But then you think, well, what, what good might come out of it? And, you know, you mentioned that thing about the, the clapping in the street. Okay, it's a small thing on one level, but I bet there's not a street in the country that hasn't had people who have felt closer together as a result of doing that. 
um, the thing I mentioned about nature and the, the bird song and, and all that sort of stuff. I think actually this will lead to a kind of reevaluation of people's lives on the environment. I think people, I think it might do that. I, I, I think that this could actually, in a funny sort of way, might be um, something that will lead to greater action on climate change. Um, I think people have, one of the, th the things I think has come out of this, and it's a really good thing, is that, I mean, it's not that many weeks ago that the government was talking about the new immigration policy and Priti Patel, the Home Secretary down here, talking about, you know, uh, skilled workers and unskilled workers, right? Well, I'll tell you what, right now, a cleaner in a hospital, is that skilled or unskilled? That's, that's <clears> one of the most important jobs in the country right now. The street cleaners, um, you know, the, so the so-called unskilled workers, people are realising that maybe we need them more than we thought. And, you know, I, I think that's a, a good lesson, particularly for the Tories. Um, did you notice that? A bit of a dig there. Um, <laughs> so I think, I think there is good that's coming of it. But, you know, uh, that's what I mean about setback. And then, you know, you think about football, if, you know, it's through setbacks that managers decide to make changes. It's through setbacks that clubs decide to get a new manager. It's through setbacks that, you know, the SFA and the English FA make changes to systems and think, right, we need to, you know, change that. So I think that's, that's a, a mindset that I've always tried to have. Tried to have. I'm just going to grab a tissue. I've just got a sort of thing. Sorry. <laughs> I'd like to finish, Alistair, with a round of quick-fire questions for you. Okay, I like those. The first one I'm terrified to ask, if I'm honest. Go on. What's your opinion of the thick of it? Love it. <laughs> See, when people say to you that Tucker is based in you, well, how does that make you feel? Very proud. <laughs> <laughs> um, what's your favourite film? Ever. Yes. Uh, I used I always used to say Lady Sings the Blues, Diana Ross, playing Billie Holiday. And it is a great film, and I loved it. But I watched it probably about the 20th time not long ago, and I don't know, it wasn't, wasn't, wasn't quite doing it for me in the same way. Um, I'm going to stick with it for now, though. Yeah, Lady Sings the Blues, Lady Sings the Blues. Favourite band? Favourite band ever. Um, See, I'm more of an individual guy. Elvis, Jack Brell. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go Four Seasons. Sounds good. In terms of um, prime ministers you've worked with, out of Tony Blair and Gordon Brown, who was a better footballer? Uh, never saw Gordon play. I saw Tony play a few times. Uh, me and my kids once battered him and his kids at five aside at checkers. How's that? <laughs> He's not bad though. Tony's not a bad footballer. You remember that head up with Kevin Keegan thing? Yes, I remember seeing yeah. that. Yeah. So I'm gonna go I'm gonna go Tony narrowly. Um what's your favorite book at the moment? I'm reading a book at the moment called The Episode by Stan Abbott. And I always have a fiction and a non-fiction on the go at the same time. And where is it? Do you want to go and get it? Yeah, of course. I can get it. Hold on. Wait there. You're going to love this, Carl. So there's the... You see that? There's the, the, fic, the fiction one. Yes. It's about psychosis. Okay. And the non-fiction one... It's not going to surprise you. Meetings with Remarkable Trees <laughs> by Thomas Packenham. <laughs> so, and I, do you know what? A part of me is thinking, well, if he, if he could write a book about trees that he's met, I'm going to do one. Maybe. <laughs> so that's what I'm reading. What's your favourite tree you've seen so far? <laughs> Oh, favourite so far. I saw an absolute belter today. I think actually it might be. I'm going to, Grace and I are going to go out and do a workout on it. It might be this decathlon tree. 
it's like the gym. It's a tree that's like a gym. You can do you can do sit ups, so you can do press ups, you can do burpees, you can do hanging, you can do you can do all sorts of stuff. So um yeah, I've got so many good trees. So many good trees. Favourite TV show ever? Favourite TV show ever? Probably Forty Towers. Oh, great choice, great choice. Yeah. Forty Towers, Monty Python maybe, but I think Forty Towers. Yeah. Ronaldo or Messi? Messi. Why? Uh, better player. Not quite as narcissistic. <laughs> um, beach holiday or city break? Mm, beach holiday. Not big on beaches. Not big on city breaks either. Like, I, I like a bit of countryside on holiday. I'm more kind of, you know, Scottish Highlands, Provence. Don't, yeah, neither. Um, a, a political question for you. Leader leadership, who is your preferred choice? Well, I'm not a member because I got kicked out, so I don't have a vote, but I think probably Keir Starmer. It's going to have his work cut out. It's going to be very hard to make an impact in, within early on with this crisis going on. But And I, and I do wish Labour were a bit more active in within the crisis. I mean, I, I think it's, yes, it's important in a crisis that obviously the government has to take the lead, but that shouldn't stop people kind of really challenging and scrutinising and and I do think there are some very, very big questions to ask about the way they're handling this. And staying on politics, um, see the current state of politics, and I, I can even mean before this crisis started, because maybe it's a, a, a difficult time to analyse, but what's your opinion of the current state of playing politics? Because in my opinion, the last election was just, uh, the campaign was just absolutely dull, in my opinion. There was nothing that inspired me either side. Mm. No, it's. I think we're in a bad shape politically. I think. I think. Look, no secret. I think Brexit's a disaster, uh, and I think Brexit was all sorts of factors, all sorts of factors. But I do think that um, it was a failure of political leadership, both in terms of how it came about, the referendum campaign, and everything that's happened since. Uh, I've all. I've known Boris Johnson a long, long time. I really don't think he's fit to be prime minister, character-wise. Uh, but Jeremy Corbyn to some extent enabled him um you know and i met so many people at the last election as you say who just they hated the choice they didn't want to have to make that choice but in the end they went for the one who was saying get brexit done because people were sick to death of brexit i'll tell you what brexit on top of this they're going to be really sick of it um and uh so i think that but i think a lot of it is down to the fact that a lot of people because of the constant kind of denigration of politics and politicians, fewer and fewer people are thinking about going into it. That's the problem, you know, with the brightest and the best should be, in my view, at a time when the world's got so many challenges, should be thinking about politics, but very few are. Um, so, yeah, we're in a bit of a mess. We're in a bit of a mess. A few football questions to finish. First of all, favourite Burnley player of all time? Uh it's, uh, you know, because his name's behind you on the book, I should say Paul Fletcher, but in the hope that he's watching, I'm going to say Leighton James. Brilliant. And um, if you could play for any manager in the world at the moment, which manager would it be and why? Uh, play for them. Yes. Yeah, I mean, obviously, with Sean, I, I should say Sean Dyche, but I'm basically Sean's co-manager anyway, so that's that would be an <laughs> odd situation. So, um, I think I'm going to... It's a toss-up between Klopp and Bielsa. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I think Bielsa would be fascinating because he's just such a strange guy, but it does seem <laughs> to be have a bit of touch of genius about him. And I think Klopp, who I'd, I'd, I'd quite... I'd, I'd like to... If I was a player for Klopp, for a year, I reckon at the end of it, I'd have a really good book about man management. So Great answer. Clock. Yeah, and then, um, yeah, those two. If it was a manager from the past, you're talking maybe Alex Ferguson, Matt Busby, Jock Steen, who would your manager from the past be? I think it'd be Brian Clough. Oh, great answer. <laughs> I, think, 
I think Brian Clough is just like, uh, he is a one-off. He is a one-off. I mean, it's funny how you mentioned those, you know, with Alex Ferguson, Jock Steen, Matt Busby, Bill Shankly, and you can say all those people and they're all very special and, you know, unique. But at the same time, there's a kind of, there's a read across between all of them, right? Uh, great, like Charlie Gordon, the, the hero of the novel, you know, obsessed with great Scottish managers. But Brian Clough, there's nobody else like Brian Clough. Nobody. There's never been anybody like him. Have you got a Brian Clough story for us? I met, I met him actually um, belatedly, and he was a very, very big Labour supporter. Um, I think my favourite Brian Clough stories are the, are the ones about that Sean Dyche and Ian Woner told me about when they were playing for him and the stuff he used to make them do. Like they'd be training and he'd say, hey, up, lads, here's my car keys. Nip over and mow the lawn for me, will you? <laughs> I mean, can you, can you imagine doing that? Can you imagine Sean Dyche saying to Ashley Barnes, here you are, Ashley, here's the car keys. Go and mow my lawn, will you? <laughs> so, yeah, I love Brian Clough. Brilliant. Alistair, it's been an absolute pleasure having you in the podcast. I hope I can catch up with you when this crisis is over and we can talk football again. Brilliant, yeah. You should also, you should get, um, you should get Callum on to talk about how come somebody, at least me, right, I was, I was born in Yorkshire, but both my parents were kind of, you know, first generation, 100% uh, Scots, right? Whereas Callum was born to me and Fiona. Me, Okay, Scottish background, but born and raised in England. Fiona, Scottish dad, but born and raised in England. And yet Callum's become a huge fan of Scottish football and probably bigger than me, in fact, because he definitely knows more about it than I do. So you should maybe get him on. I'd absolutely love to. And <laughs> that's something I'll, I'll try and arrange. Yeah, brilliant. All right, Callum. All the best. Take care. Take care. Bye. Bye. So we'll dive down to the ocean And we'll make our home in a deep sea cave And our shells will all be open They'll be filled with song, they'll be filled with song We'll dive down to the ocean And we'll make our home in a deep sea cave